Welcome to Veteran on the Move. If you're a veteran in transition, an entrepreneur wannabe, or someone still stuck in that J-O-B trying to escape, this podcast is dedicated to your success. And now, your host, Joe Crane. If you're an active duty service member, veteran, DOD civilian, or military family member, you can join Navy Federal. And now is a great time to join. For more information, visit NavyFederal.org. All right, we're talking with Navy SEAL veteran John Tamar with Kilcliffe Clean Energy Drink. So, John, thanks for being here today. Looking forward to hearing your great entrepreneurial story. Before we do that, take us back. Tell us what you did as a Navy SEAL. Hey, Joe. Thanks, man. It's great to be here today. Yeah, so I served in the SEAL teams literally when I was I was young. I had, you know, brown hair back then, believe it or not. You still have um, it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was I was in the SEAL teams in the 90s. Yeah, I do. So that's good stuff. Um, yeah, so I, I served from 95 until 99. So I did, a, I did an enlistment. Um, and uh, I decided at that time to get out. There wasn't much going on. Um, we were doing a lot of peacekeeping missions when I was in the SEAL teams. Um, I went through BUDS in uh, class 206, and I ended up at SEAL Team 8 uh, with a great group of guys. And we were doing deployments over into the Balkans, uh, Middle East, uh, a lot of stability operations at that time, you may recall. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Bosnia had come to an end. Kosovo was kind of ramping up. Um, the embassies were bombed. I was overseas when that happened. Um, but I was in a standard strike, strike uh, They call, back then they called it a strike uh, platoon, uh, which served the uh, battle group. At that time, it was the Eisenhower Battle Group. We also served the... Um, uh, Siege of Sodif uh, over in, in Bosnia, a couple of the, the SEAL units who were deployed in different parts of Europe. Um, and then we had the, um, you know, the, the remit if there's uh, operational requirements in, in parts of Africa. There wasn't a, a NAVAF or a SOCAF back then. So mm-hmm. um, that, was, that, was, that was part of the remit. So I, I went through, I, I, you know, I kind of do things in life. I hit it hard and fast and do what I do and then I move on. That's kind of what I did here. I, uh, I got out uh, at the end of my, my enlistment and um, uh, decided to go, you know, go back to college. And I had some other career goals, things I wanted to do. So I went back on the Navy College Fund, and it was the GI Bill slash Navy College Fund. It was, back then, it was, I think it was just shy of $40,000. It was about $38,000, mm-hmm. uh, which seemed like a lot until I started going to school full time. Um, and, uh, you know, it was, it was enough to keep me afloat. But it was really hard making ends meet during that time. Um, so I, I went straight through three years of college, um, and it kind of led to, uh, you know, a career of many, many different things after that. When I just to backtrack, when I, I initially went to college, I, you know, I had some objectives that I was trying to achieve. Uh, being in the SEAL teams when I was in the SEAL teams, operationally there just wasn't that much going on. I, you know, I deployed. Um, I spent a lot of time just kind of showing up and training with other forces rather than actually doing anything. And so I was looking for different career tracks at the time um, in the intelligence community. And, um, you know, I had in my mind uh, certain jobs that, as I understood, required college. So that was really the impetus for going back on the college fund. And what I will say is that, like, absolutely everything I wanted to do, nothing worked out like I thought it was going to work out. (laughs) Um, So so that's that's kind of my my military in in a nutshell. Um, did you want me to keep going or did you got some questions for me on that? Well, I just, I just wanted to hear like what, so after college, what, what other, 
what other occupations and jobs did you find yourself in and ultimately how you ended up uh, jumping out on your own and going into entrepreneurship? All right. That's, yeah, that's a great question. So when I, when I finished college, I, at first I, I couldn't get a job. I, I initial job I took out of college was, was a, uh, a job as a financial advisor, which was a pretty popular thing back then. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I did that. I went through all the training and I got admitted to uh, the grad school at the University of Chicago. So that was a pretty big deal. And they threw me a scholarship, a merit-based scholarship, not an academic scholarship, just to be clear. But it was a <laughs> merit-based one because I'd been in the Navy and done this cool stuff. So uh-huh. that was pretty cool. It covered most of my tuition. So I took that opportunity. So I ended up getting out of college. I literally crashed in my parents' basement for a year. Uh, rewind, I'm in my mid-20s, um, late-20s. Crashed in my parents' basement. I worked as a financial advisor. I got a uh, scholarship to the University of Chicago, and and I and I went. And I did that for – that was a two-year program. And it was during that time that – like so the whole time I was in living in my parents' basement – and working as a financial advisor, I was applying for all these jobs in the intelligence community, and I couldn't, I couldn't get any callbacks. I was like, what's going on here? I'm a Navy SEAL. Everyone should want me. Nobody wants me. What's going yeah. on? <laughs> so that was my experience. And so, so then when the grad school came up and they're like, hey, we have this, you know, this, this opportunity for you at the time, it was policy, international policy, because I was still in this mindset of pursuing this, this other career path, which I left the SEAL teams to pursue. Um, I, uh, yeah, I, uh, I, I got that. I just went off and I did school. It's funny because I got started getting some of the callbacks that I've been waiting for when I finally was in graduate school. Like it was just a timing thing because after September 11th, these organizations got flooded with applications and this is before artificial intelligence. This is before like they had figured out their processes for screening and getting through. So it took a long time. So it took actually took a couple of years before I started getting callbacks. But at that time, I was on a different trajectory. I'm like, all right, I've waited around long enough. I'm moving forward with life. And uh, so I was in, I was in school and um, I got a, I got a, a job actually working in a, in a British private security firm. Imagine that uh, called control risks. And it was really cool. So I was involved in these huge programs that they had supporting a variety of government commercial organizations in Iraq. Um, we had, we had projects in, um, in parts of Africa, like Sudan, we had projects over, um, in Indonesia. And so our team had kind of found all these projects and, and we, we won them. And that's kind of the first, that was really kind of an entrepreneurial job because we create, we incorporate a subsidiary inside their business to, to sort of mitigate risk. And there was only a group of us, a couple of former SEALs, a couple, some Hollywood guy and, uh, you know, a couple other people with like spooky backgrounds. And next thing you know, we're buying armored cars from Colombia and shipping them to Iraq. And we're, we have, we have teams of like 500 people on the ground in Iraq. And we were, you know, recruiting from, uh, we had recruiting depots and, and different, like different countries in the world. Um, and it, it just turned into this massive operation. That's what gave me the taste of like the business grew rapidly. We, we did $20 million of revenue in less than two years. And, uh, we just, that's that would, that's what gave me the, the taste of doing uh, startup environments. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, hey, uh, hold that hold that thought, John. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. If you're an active duty service member, veteran, DOD civilian, or military family member, you can join Navy Federal. That's right. If you've served in any branch of the military, doesn't have to be just the Navy. Could be the Army, Marine Corps, Air Force, or Coast Guard. 
you can join Navy Federal Credit Union. On average, Navy Federal members earn and save $361 more per year. You can pay no fees, get low rates and rate discounts, plus earn cash back and grow your savings. Navy Federal puts members first by helping them save money, make money, and enjoy peace of mind and security through personalized around-the-clock service. Plus, now's a great time to join if you have a large credit card balance after the holidays. Balance transfers allow you to move your current credit card balance from other lenders to a Navy Federal credit card. Make a plan to do away with high-interest credit card debt by transferring your balance to a Navy Federal credit card. With a low intro APR and no balance transfer fees, you can pick the right card to help you take back control. Visit NavyFederal.org for more info. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Insured by NCUA. Dollar value of Navy Federal's 2019 member give back study. 5.99 to 18% variable APR. Based on product type and credit worthiness. Up to $1 cash advance transaction fee at non-Navy Federal ATMs. All right, back talking with uh, Navy SEAL veteran John Tamar. So, Timar, excuse me, um, with Killcliffe. So, John, you you would you talked about your transition out and going to school, and you end up in this uh, British security company. Um, other than uh, helping you work on your British accent, I'm sure it helped, <laughs> you know, I'm sure you were able to learn a lot of good lessons. You guys really grew massively almost overnight, and it was a very good entrepreneurial experience. What happened from there? Right. So. Uh, I kind of hit the end of the road with that. Um, it was it was a great experience, but you know the stuff we were doing, I realized there wasn't a long term game with it. It was kind of a short term thing. The the parent company wasn't that interested in investing further in it. They just wanted to you know to roll it out for as long as they could. Um, but that got me thinking about what to do next. And um, you know it, it's really interesting because when I had gotten out, I had these other objectives when I got with SEAL teams, and my approach was I'm going to go get education. And that's going to lead me to opportunities and it's going to give me a lot of different options. In some ways it did, in some ways it didn't. Um, like the, the do the job I did in professional services and this whole Iraq business, I mean, that was being at the right place at the right time and being a guy with the background I had. Um, I don't think school was necessarily something that pushed me over the edge to be competitive for that opportunity, but it was something that um, they, they, I had a nice comp- combination of skills, especially for a British company, you know, they can be kind of uppity and, uh, and it, and it worked out, it worked out well for me. Um, but what I will say is that whole time when I was, I started that job when I was in grad school. So I was, I was kind of, I was a contractor and then I was a full-time employee after grad school is I was, there were, I was applying for things left and right that I had in my mind that I wanted to do. Um, because I didn't want to be in security necessarily for the long haul. I wanted to do it for a little while. And, um, I couldn't get it. I couldn't get any traction. It just like everything, you know, I, that I was applying for, it just wasn't happening for me. And, and I don't, I don't know exactly why I had a good academic background, I had a good service background. Um, it may have just been the time and the place, but, but so that's what emboldened me increasingly just to, do my own thing. So what I ended up doing was finding opportunities. Um, Cause I, I did when the British security company is like, yeah, we love what you're doing, but we're just going to suck the profit out of it. Reinvest it into all these weird initiatives all over the world. And that's what we're going to do. I had an option of, well, I could continue doing what I'm doing or I could go over onto the commercial side of the business and restart a career inside that company. And that rubbed me the wrong way. A great company, but it wasn't right for me. Mm-hmm. So that's when I started looking out and saying, okay, what do I do next? And what I ended up doing is I ended up getting involved in, in companies that um, were 
different stages yes. of the startups. Um, but they weren't fully baked. Um, they had some execution or some, mm-hmm. some market problems that need to be addressed. And I found myself finding these productive roles in companies that a few years before when I was in, on, on my highest of high horses, I would have said there's no way I'd ever work for that company, right? So I started because I was kind of trying to balance being an entrepreneur and having an income. I just got married. I was starting a family. And I didn't have, I didn't have huge reenlistment bonuses. I didn't have a lot of resources. You know, I was fortunate to have most of my school paid for, but I still had loans for living expenses. The undergraduate was super expensive. I, I had a bunch of loans, mostly for cost of living, um, to supplement my income so I could pay for school and, you know, all that stuff. So I, found, I, I was trying to find my way into entrepreneurship where some of the risk was mitigated because the company existed. It was someone else's idea, but they were having a hard time getting it to the next place. And that's where I found a really, a really interesting niche for myself. And I believe that's probably a very interesting niche for a lot of people that have a military service background, that want to be entrepreneurial, they might have, uh, you know, investments or, you know, they might have, um, you know, things in life going on to keep them from being fully committed to doing a startup with no revenue. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I found that these, these organizations will find, you know, they may not be able to compete with larger companies in terms of the types of packages they put together for you. But the amount of value you will receive professionally from it, from being able to do a lot of stuff and do a lot of stuff fast, and the amount that that group of people that you become part of that you're working with will value you and your input is far beyond what I think any compensation package can provide you from like a bigger company in terms of professional advancement, in terms of understanding of the business environment, of internalizing the impact of bad decisions. Um, that comes at you hard and fast. So I did, a, I, I moved into a couple startups after I had that experience with that British company, because we had incorporated a subsidiary, I got the bug, I went to another startup in that sort of space. And then I took that and I, I used it to kind of pole vault into a technology startup. I had no technology background, but I wanted to get into a, a real product focused company. And I really wanted to do something in technology. So I was able to leverage the experience I have to get into a technology company. It was kind of tangentially related. And that, that, was, that was huge. And that is right around the time that I, I kind of, I got involved with the Kilcliffe guys. Kilcliffe had just gotten started. I'd done these startups. Um, to, by time, we talked early on, but I was really, I felt loyal to the people that I relocated with and I was working with. So it took a few years before I finally came over to the Kilcliffe team. The founder, Todd Ehrlich, and I go way back to the mid-90s. We served in the SEAL teams together. Uh, common friends, we're friends. And um, it was a really interesting opportunity for me to take what I learned from building a, a SaaS and platform as a service software company and apply it to a beverage company to take a new, I, the new ideas that were being, that were being generated in business to business sales and marketing and applying them to a consumer segment in a consumable space. And mm-hmm. that just was not happening. So that's what I did when I came over to Killcliffe. Um, awesome. and, yeah. Yeah. You know, um, an old, old friend of mine had said one time, if, if you get out of the military, you want to get into entrepreneurship, you don't really have an idea yourself. Probably the best thing you can do is go work for a startup that's already running. hundred percent agree with that. And that's exactly how I was. I always was entrepreneurial. And I think it comes like guys who have a spec ops background, you know, that's a very, a, a very uh, loose and fast moving environment. It feels a lot like a startup company and mm-hmm. the amount of teamwork, the, the, lack of bureaucracy or less bureaucracy, those sorts of things. 
it's where guys uh, that really want to take risks, they want to they want to have opportunity to make immediate impact. It's where they thrive, I think. And I think you see lots of stories now that are out there of yeah. companies that are founded by military guys that have been like that. But I absolutely agree with that. And that's um, for me. It was I, I. So I was in. I would. I was in four startups. Uh, Kilcliffe being the fourth, but we're we're really like at a next level now. Um, and they were all different uh, financial backing, all different ownership structures, all different industries. Um, and I was able to take the best of what I learned from those different companies. And when I had, when I finally was ready to get involved in Kilcliffe, which they'd been around for about five years before I got involved, um, I was able to apply all those lessons to, uh, to this company. And we're, I mean, we're the, by far the fastest growing uh, clean energy drink in the business or the fastest growing CBD drink, drink in the business. And a lot of that's because we lean, we lean really far forward on adopting new technologies and methods for our sales and marketing organization. Yeah. So with, with Killcliffe, do you find yourself, do, do you spend most of your time with sales and marketing or what do you, what are you actually working on with their Killcliffe? Yeah, it's, I mean, we're, we're small and move fast. So I, I have my hands in a lot of, a lot of different buckets. Um, but I, I spend most of my time uh, curating the brand. We have um, an incredible marketing team. We brought on a, a guy named John Brinkus earlier this year. He's, a six-time Emmy Award winner. He was the, you may recall a show called Sports Science that was on ESPN. Mm-hmm. Little small segments and it was always like a celebrity athlete doing something crazy. Yeah. Um, he did that. He was the producer of that, the creator of that. Uh, they did like 2,000 episodes. So I brought him on for a number of reasons. Um, but one of them was in this day and age, your ability to organically create content that's compelling to an audience and get it out fast and do it all the time and do it at different levels of production. That was something we were really struggling with inside the company. Even though we were a digital company, we've been since inception. It's kind of interesting that we're selling, you know, just unbelievable numbers of cases of drinks online. We're literally shipping these 12 packs online all over the country. It's just that when you think about it, it's kind of crazy. It doesn't really make sense, right? That's Mm -hmm. expensive. How do you do that? Um, but one of the, the things that makes us sticky as a business is our digital content. And that was an area where we were struggling to find a lot of progression and a lot of stuff that felt authentic and organic um, and doing it within a, a you know, a, 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 a well-balanced P&L environment. So, um, so I brought him on and that really has helped us continue to catapult the brand. So I, that's where I spend a lot of my time. I mean, we are, we are way out in the future. We're building a media company. We have, we, have, we just launched our own record label. Um, we're collaborating with big celebrities. We, we're partnering with Joe Rogan. So I spend my time in that part of the business most of the time. I hired a better sales guy than myself to run sales. So that took a lot of a lot of stress off me when I was able to pass it off. I got a, you know, we're a beverage company. I got a longstanding beverage rock star to come in and run sales for us. And so I was able to kind of pull back a little bit on that and spend more time trying to lean forward on brand partnerships and brand identity and product mm-hmm. innovation and things like that. That's awesome. Uh, I've always heard, I think, I think I actually heard on Shark Tank, the, the beverage industry is one of the most brutal and competitive that you could ever go into. Is that true? Yeah, it is. You, you would be surprised at how much money beverage companies are willing to lose to gain distribution. They're buying distribution on the shelves. They, um, they give like in some of the segments, they'll, they're literally giving the cases away just to drive trial and get shelf space. They'll buy shelf space out from other other companies, um, so it's a it's pretty cutthroat 
Oh, for sure. And we, we found ways to, to, to we've, we're, we've kind of forged our own path in this space by being entirely different from everyone else. Yeah. And that's worked just being, yeah. know, being different. Yeah, it has. I mean, when, when we don't buy space, we uh, have opportunities to, to work with buyers to support charities instead, you know, like, well, if you're going to give money and you have charitable goals, why don't you give it to maybe seal foundation, for example, who we're a partner with. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, uh, we've also, you know, we're, we're willing to turn down to us. All distribution is not good distribution, which is a very different mindset from most of the beverage companies. Um, and we don't lose money, which is another different mindset. You know, we're, we're okay growing organically without losing money at a slower pace mm-hmm. than, than spending just ginormous amounts of money to, to gain distribution faster and grow faster. It's more sustainable for us. It also allows us to support our mission. Yeah. And when you, when you say clean energy drinks, um, are your energy drinks clean from most of the chemicals and stuff that you're seeing in all the other ones? Yeah, absolutely. We have nothing artificial. We have nothing fake, no artificial flavors, no artificial sweeteners. Um, most, if you go to an energy drink aisle, and this is a gross generalization, but you'll find it to be true. Even if you look at the drinks that are so, they're being positioned as healthy and look at their ingredients, you're going to find a lot of artificial sweeteners in them, at, at least the artificial sweeteners. Some of the other stuff might be okay, but these guys, because caffeine as a substance is very, very bitter. If you just took raw caffeine and, and threw it in your mouth, just like creatine or something else. I mean, it did gag a maggot. It's terrible. Yeah. So a lot of these, these beverage companies are putting massive amounts of caffeine in their drinks, unhealthy amounts of caffeine, and they're using synthetic caffeine that's made in a lab, and then they're using synthetic artificial sweeteners to mask the flavor. So it's really a, it's a caustic combination, and we've taken a totally different approach. We use green tea caffeine, so it's all naturally occurring. It affects your body differently. Um, instead of putting in you know, these crazy like unregulated dietary supplements in our products, uh, we put in potassium and magnesium. Potassium and magnesium help your blood flow and hydration. So you, we combine that with green tea caffeine. And then what we use for, for the, the, to give the beverage a sweet flavor is we use a combination of, of stevia and erythritol. And what's interesting is e- either of those used independently don't taste great, but when you use them together in the right doses, it tastes just like you're drinking a product made out of natural sugar. It doesn't taste fake. It's not artificial. It's all naturally occurring ingredients. Um, so that's, that's what we do. And so, what does you so come from? I, we, we've used stevia a few times in baking, trying to bake low carb cookies and stuff like that. It is stevia is not an artificial sweetener. No, it's not. It's from a plant. Um, it's a, it's a leaf. It's an extract from a, from a stevia leaf. So the, the stevia comes from the actual plant named stevia, I guess is the question then, right? Is that right? Yeah. It's Stevia is I thought it might have been some extract yeah. of some Here's, other kind of plant or something. Okay. So you have natural sweeteners out there that are, that, and some of them are really good and we've experimented with a bunch of them and other, other drinks have tried. Some of them have tried these, but you know, Stevia is a popular one. Um, erythritol is a, a sugar alcohol. Um, there's a, uh, a, um, uh, uh, monk fruits become popular. We use monk fruit in one of our beverages that we ended up discontinuing the beverage because it just wasn't a competitive beverage for the, the category it was in. Yeah. Um, so it was just too expensive to create. We put too much good stuff in it and it just wasn't economical. Um, it was a, it was a, like a better for you type of body armor. Um, but that, that's a very, very difficult category to compete in because these guys, the big guys have endless resources and they, they're selling sugar water to the masses and they're terrible for you. 
And so if you go into a grocery aisle and you're trying to sell something for like two fifty or three dollars uh, for twelve or sixteen ounces, and and you know, they're you're competing against ten for ten dollars. That's just a very difficult proposition. Yeah, and so like I'm curious about stevia. Like stevia is a natural sweetener, but how does it differ from cane sugar, or or at least yeah, it affects your body? I'm I'm just curious because. We're we're trying to get rid of the sugar in our diet, and Steve is obviously a good a good alternative. So, right, right. You're asking a science question to a non science guy. Your body yeah. definitely metabolizes it different. You're not you're you're um um. So it's somehow you're not going to see sugar. You're not going to have a glycemic spike. I mean, okay, if yeah. you want to look at the impact, I'll, I'll tell you the things I do know. What I do know is that you're 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 not going to have a glycemic spike in your body as a result of of consuming stevia. That's you're it. also you're also you know it's a it's a naturally occurring product. It's not something synthetic created in a lab. So right. those are the those are the two things I can tell you. And then when you get into configurations of of the sweeteners and why we use what we use, I bring in my innovation guy to you know talk to you about that any day of the week mm-hmm. if you want to have that conversation. Yeah, I was I, certainly I try to put you on the spot. I just I thought because you, you, I've seen stevia around and it's um it's definitely a, a good alternative. And I'm trying to think, okay, but if we're eating this and if it says you know the, the carb count or whatever the sugar right. whatever is this, so, how is it different than the actual pure cane sugar? And the, the big answer, right, the most important answer there is the your glycemic spike because that's exactly right. If you can keep your glycemic spikes below a certain level all day long, then you're good. And what you'll see is that artificial sweeteners also have an impact on your glycemic spike, like sucralose will spike your glycemic index. So they're, 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 they're being positioned as this is no sugar and it's healthy yeah. for you, but the artificial sweeteners are actually having the same, not as high a degree impact, but they're still having the same impact on body. still body. reacting to them as if it was a sweetener. Exactly. Yeah. Or yeah so that's hundred percent. That's uh that's problematic. So, um, but it's, it is. So it's, it's very interesting, right? So when you, like we have, we use, when we, you look at our drinks, you'll see there's carbohydrates in our drinks. So we could elect to have zero carbs. That's a very popular marketing message. Zero carbs is better for me, but people are getting zero carbs through sucralose. You have to understand that the reason, the way they're getting zero carbs is by putting artificial ingredients in your product to give it a flavor. We're not doing that. We're giving you like I think our recovery drink, 15, 20 carbohydrates, right? Well, if you actually break down where the carbohydrates are coming from, they're coming from a, uh, a sweetener called erythritol, which is a, it's approved by the, the paleo diets and the, the keto diets. Um, and the, um, the carbohydrates themselves that you consume, your body doesn't absorb them. You end up peeing them out. So, you know, it's, we look at that as a win. We're like, all right, the oh, yeah. combination of stevia and erythritol tastes great. And then the carbohydrates that you get, yeah, there's some in the drink, but you're going to end up peeing them out and not absorb them in your body. That's a win. So, um, and, and by doing that, we're allowed that we, we can offer a healthier alternative to people than yeah. if we were to, um, you know, yeah, the other route. Yeah. I prefer to do that than say zero, like to say like sugar free or, um, no sugar and, and just deceive a customer. Yeah. There's a lot been coming out in the last couple of years about, you know, zero sugar isn't necessarily the ultimate right. goal here. Right. And there's, there's very important verbiage on the, on the, the can, right? So we just, uh-huh. we just actually repackaged our products and it says 
it says no sugar, right? So that's what you can say that's FDA approved. If you can see that. Um, yeah. It, it, if it says like zero sugar or sugar free, it's going to be artificial ingredients. But if you say, we say no sugar and there is, there's zero sugar, there's 10 grams of urethritol. And the urethritol is the carbohydrate that you end up peeing out. Where does so, the urethritol come from? It's a sugar al- alcohol. So I guess it's a, a derivative. I'm sorry. Um, but you know, I personally don't, I don't know the, the specifics of that. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. Um, so, so where is, uh, where are you guys at right now? Like where, where is kill cliff in, in the beverage industry, the, the size and, and, and where are you guys going with it? Yeah. So, uh, kill cliff is we, we've, we've gained massive distribution. Um, we are, uh, just looking at the numbers the other day. I mean, we're, we're up about 275% in retail this year. Um, we've had a, we've had a, a, a good, a really good, strong year in spite of all the, the many challenges out there today with, uh, the COVID environment lockdowns and all that stuff. Um, and then we're, we're up, you know, substantially in our, our, um, online business as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've been, we've been, what we've been doing as a business is moving out from, we, we were, we were first and foremost an online business. And then we had uh, national distribution, uh, mm-hmm. which would put us in various retailers throughout the country. There's a whole sales cycle uh, yeah. in doing that. And it's, it's a very lumpy thing. We've mm-hmm. been complementing that and moving out into uh, to beverage distribution. So think Anheuser-Busch Network, Molson Coors Network. Um, these guys, what's interesting about them is, you know, they control a lot of the distribution up and down the street uh, to convenience, C-store, right. um, on-premise, to restaurants, bars, things like that, amusement parks, those types of things. Um, the energy drink uh, revenue, 70% of it comes from, as an industry, comes from the C-store channel. And we have, until this year, we had absolutely zero presence. So all of our growth was happening without a C-store distribution. Uh, so that's been a, a, a core focus of ours is actually shoring up our distribution um, and growing our points of distribution. We have over 40,000 points of distribution now um, as a business and we're, we're continuing to build it. So we've been building out in, in key markets um, with distribution. It's going to make us more accessible to people where you can go to the local uh, gas station and pick up a cold drink or you can be road tripping and pick up a cold drink. Um, so that's been a big focus of our business. And then, um, you know, our online business continues to surge. Well, we have a, a CBD beverage, a cannabis infused beverage. Um, and uh, we have a whole line actually. And huh. that is primarily an online business because the distribution in that market is very, it's, it's super regulated. It's very different from state to state. And so it makes it very difficult because the, 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 the outlets that can sell the products differ in every state. Some states it's fine, put in a grocery store, put it in a, uh, any sort of beverage shop and that's fine. Some stores, it can only be in supplement shops or some States. I'm sorry. So, so that we primarily distribute just online direct to consumer. And your CBD drink, um, either low or no THC. Is that right? It, yeah, we test it, uh, pre and post production. And we, our current test results, which are available in the can is 0% THC undetectable. It's undetectable in the 12 ounce beverage. Um, we use a a nano encapsulated hemp, which also, um, absorbs rapidly into your bloodstream from your stomach, which is great because, 
uh, it's the higher it's a higher bioavailability than what's commonly used in the market, like tinctures and other things like that. Yeah. So my question is, are, are we going to start seeing as more and more states legalize it for various uses? Are you going to are you going to actually going to have a, a cannabis drink that actually has THC yeah. in it? So you, you mean like a like a drink that'll get you high? Yeah. <laughs> and that's what's coming next. They, they already exist. They exist out in California for sure. I, I'm, I'm certain in, in states where they have recreational use marijuana or, or medical medicinal yeah, marijuana. I mean, that only makes sense. Washington State, I think, uh, I'm, I'm not sure what the California laws are, but I've heard that some of these, these shops in California have the THC beverages. I think, I think one of the big beer companies, I could be wrong, so don't quote me. I think Lagunitas might have one, but I'm not sure if it's them. Um, there's a big beer company that has one. And you then, can infuse um, it in beer, and that way you drink a beer, you get drunk and stoned at the same time. I'm telling you, that's a, that's oh a crazy combination, but somebody's <laughs> going to do it. Um, uh, probably, it probably already exists. <laughs> so the, the answer is yes, that's going to happen for yeah. sure. It's, uh, it's, it's, kind of, it's one of those things that scares me a little bit because when you ingest these products, the impact is, is way faster. You know? mm. So, yeah. um, so the, the whole edibles game is, is a little bit of a different game. And, as for Killcliffe, that's not really on our, I mean, we're not trying to get people stoned. We are trying to give you non-psychoactive ingredients that, that help your body perform better in some capacity. Um, and, you know, the FDA is very stringent on what you can and can't say about, you know, the impact of, of CBD. And so you have to go do your own research and come to your own conclusions. There was a study recently published by the Georgia Medical College um, that showed in their study that uh, the CB, that CBD can reduce the impact of, of COVID damage on your body and help you recover faster. Mm. That's from a medical study that's been published by the, the Medical College of Georgia, so you can look that up. It came out a couple months ago. Forbes has had a couple different articles this year indicating that research points towards uh, CBD helping out with some of those ailments. And, of course, I, I think it was in 2019 – uh, there was the first um, uh, a, a drug, it was the first pharmaceutical that came out for epilepsy that was 100% T, uh, not THC, 100% CBD, I'm sorry. Uh. Um, so what's happening in, is, what I think is happening, and I'm by no means an expert on the policy behind this, but I think you have a pharma lobby, you have a, a marijuana lobby, and you have a CBD lobby, and they're, in, they're fighting over who gets the you know, who gets to sell what to who. So, you know, CBD isolate, something that might be coming scrutiny and get grabbed, like snatched up by the pharma community. Cause that's a, you know, greater than natural potency of CBD that you can infuse in your body. Um, so we use broad spectrum hemp, broad spectrum hemp is what most, most of the natural food stores. Like if you look at chains like sprouts and others, that's what they want. Um, it's from the leaf. It's, you know, you're extracting broad spectrum. It's called broad spectrum because you're extracting from across the entire plant. Um, and then you're using a process. And again, I'm not a food scientist. I can't get into the actual process, but there's a process that's used to extract. There's different extraction processes uh, to extract um, the CBD and, and ensure that there's zero THC or, you know, I think the permissible lemon THC, according to the farm bill, is 0.3%. So your raw source has to have less than 0.3%. Um, THC, the stuff we get is, is well under that. And then once you dilute it and process it in a beverage, um, there's no THC is detectable. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, Hey John, we're getting close to the end of our time here. Um, appreciate we've 
shared with us up to this point. If you had to, if you could uh, talk to somebody who's just getting out of the military or just recently got out and they're looking to get into entrepreneurship, what kind of advice would you have for them? Yeah, sure. I would say that um, a couple things are, first of all, if you, if you need income, there's nothing wrong with a side hustle. A lot of great companies and businesses start as side hustles. Right. And I think you should seriously consider that if that's, if, if you need income, right? If you, if you're able to invest in something and, and build it yourself from your ground up, um, that's fantastic. But what I will tell you is that you're going to lose way more than you win. And so you need to be cognizant of that. And you're going to have a, a ton of setbacks along the way. And, you know, best laid plans rarely work out. Things are going to shape up different. Um, but I will say, if you're really committed to something um, and you can find alignment between your ideas and making money, you're going to be a very happy person because there's a lot of people out there that are working jobs that they just don't care about and they're unhappy. So being able to find something that is, whether you're doing it as a side hustle or it's your full-time endeavor, mm-hmm. is super aligned with your interests. That's going to, that's going to take you a long, long way. Um, so I think that's, that's my first, my first line of advice. My, 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 my second line of advice is, be very, very careful when you take in money and how you take in money and the type of money you take in and when you take in money because it changes everything when you take in money. You lose control. The other people are involved. Yes, it might accelerate something you're doing, but can you get there on your own without taking in money? That's a question that you need to ask yourself. Um, and uh, so those are, I mean, those are really my, my, my words of wisdom are you're going to fail. So be prepared for that mentally and then learn from it and move on because it's just going to happen. Yeah. If you can find a way to, to do both, like to have some income and do a side hustle, that's a great alternative until you're ready to go in full Monty and then be very careful, you know, go as long as you can without taking money. And when you take money, be very careful on what money you're taking and who you're getting in bed with. Cause I've seen it in many different companies. Kilcliffe were very fortunate to have a great set of investors um, in the business. Um, but I've seen other companies along the way and I work with a lot of people there in the startup environment. They have one story after another of how things just went sideways uh, when they brought on capital. It, it just changes the, the equation. Um, and so those are the things that, you know, that I would, I would just recommend. And, and I think that the topic we discussed with earlier, Joe, is really, really a, a good one, which is there's, Startup businesses are hungry to get really good, strong people that can help solve problems for them and they will move really fast and they don't care about, you know, they don't care about title. They don't care about bureaucracy. They don't care about that. They're just there to be productive and to learn. And if you can find yourself in one of those environments initially, the amount of experience and the connections, you know, that the, the, if they have investors, you're going to get to know those investors. If you perform for them, those investors are going to want you to get involved in other companies in their portfolio. Um, the amount of good that can come from taking a few years and working in somebody else's startup while you're working on your own idea, to me, that's a perfect world. And that's really what, what I did. I mean, I've, I've done four startups. I'm, you know, yeah. I, I haven't seen that, 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 um, yeah, moonshot happen yet. It just, I haven't had the moonshot. What I will say is Killcliffe is really awesome and things that are happening are magical in our business right now. So maybe that is the moonshot. Yeah. But if it's not the amount of stuff that I've learned here, the, the things I can I can 
pay forward, you know, the amount of great people I work with. I mean, it's just, we're having a fantastic ride right now. Um, and I think that you're going to be seeing a whole lot more of us um, in the year to come. Awesome. Well, hey, John, thanks for sharing your w- words of wisdom. We look for, forward to Kilcliss uh, success here in the future and uh, appreciate you sharing your story. Yeah, that's awesome, man. No problem. Thank right. you. These two veterans are asking Mike. Thank you for listening to Veteran on the Move, your pathfinder to freedom. If you like the show, leave us a review on iTunes. Reviews are always greatly appreciated. So until next time, this veteran is Oscar Mike.